Section twenty one of Mornings at Bow Street. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pigwit. This was a proceeding in Lamine by which the plaintiff sought reparation for violence done to his religious scruples and body health by the act of the defendant, inasmuch as he, the plaintiff, being a Jew, the defendant, on Wednesday, the twelfth of that present December, at eleven o'clock in the forenoon, in the parish of St. Paul, Covent Garden, did, with malice aforethought, knock him down with a pig's head, contrary to the statute, and against the peace of our sovereign lord the king, his crown and dignity. Both plaintiff and defendant pleaded each for himself, no counsel being retained on either side. Ephraim, Ephraim deposed, that he was by profession an orange merchant, carrying on his business in Covent Garden Market, that the defendant, Richard Stewart, was a dealer in pork and poultry in the said market, and that he, the said Richard Stewart, on the day and hour above stated, did thrust a pig's face against his cheek with such violence as to throw him backwards into a chest of oranges whereby he sustained great damage both in mind body and merchandise plaintiff stated moreover that he had previously and on and on sundry occasions forewarned the said richard that it was contrary to the tenets of his religion to come in contact with pork and yet nevertheless he said richard did frequently and from time to time obtrude pork upon his attention by holding it up aloft in the market and calling to him, Ephraim, will you have a mouthful? All this he humbly submitted, betokened great malice and wickedness in the said Richard, and he therefore besought the magistrate to interpose the protection of the law in his behalf. The magistrate observed that he was astonished a person of Mr. Stewart's appearance and respectability should be guilty of such conduct, and having explained to him that the law afforded equal protection to the professors of every religion, he called upon him for his defense. "'May it please, your worship,' said Mr. Richard Stewart, an elderly, well-fed man of a jolly and pleasant countenance. "'May it please, your worship, I keep a stand in Covent Garden Market, and have done so any time these ten years, and Mr. Ephraim's stand is next to mine. Now, your worship, on Wednesday morning, I'd a hamper of pork up out o' Herefordshire, and so I opened the hamper, and, at the top of it, lay a nice head, off as sweet a pig as ever sucked. And I takes the head, and holds it up, and, says I, here is a beautiful head, says I, did ever anybody see such a handsome one? And sure enough, your worship, it was the most beautiful as ever was, and would have done anybody's heart good to see it. It was cut so clean off the quarter, drying his finger slowly and scientifically across the brawn of his own neck, and was so short in the snout, and as white as a sheet it was, your worship, quite remarkable handsome, and so I said, says I, look here, did ever anybody see such a picture, holding it up, just in this manner, with that, ah, says Mr. Ephraim, says he now my dream's out 
I dreamt last night that I saw two pigs' heads together. And there they are, meaning my head and the pig's head, your worship. Well, I took no notice of that, but I goes me gently behind Mr. Ephraim, and slides the pig's head by the side of his head, claps my own on the other side, all a row with the pigs in the middle, your worship, and says I to the folks, says I, now who'll say which is the honestest face of the three? With that, your worship, all the folks fell a-laughing, and I goes myself quietly back again to my stall. But poor Ephraim fell in such a passion. Lord, Lord, it were immoral to see what a pucker he were in. He danced, and he capered, and he rubbed his whiskers, though I verily believe the pig's head never touched him, and he jumped and fidgeted about, all as one, as if he was mad, till at last he tumbled into the orange chest, your worship, of his own accord, as it were. And that's the long and short of it, your worship, as my neighbors here can specify. His worship, having listened attentively to these conflicting statements, decided that at the same time the affair was hardly worth carrying to the sessions, and therefore he would recommend the plaintiff to be satisfied with an apology. The defendant expressed the greatest willingness to apologize. For, says he, leaning over the table and sinking his voice to a whisper, I asked another Jew what could make Mr. Ephraim in such a passion, and he told me, your worship, that if you get a rail Jew and rub him with a bit of pork, it's the greatest crime as ever was. Plaintiff and defendant then retired, and the matter was compromised. An Irish Tailor Edward Leonard was charged with having assaulted Mary, the wife of Thomas Reed. This was a watch-house charge, and appeared to have originated thus. Mr. Leonard lodges in the house of Mr. Reed, and like most of his countrymen of the like class, he is given to imbibing more beer than his brains will bear. This seems to have been the case with him on Saturday night, for he came home at a most unseasonable hour, and because Mr. Reed would not get up and light a candle for him, he most unconscionably threatened to fracture his skull, break his back, and put his nose out of joint. Now Mr. Reed is a quiet, harmless little man, and being at that time warm and comfortable in his bed, he thought it best to lie still and take no notice. But Mrs. Reed, knowing Ted Leonard's furious propensities, and fearing he would really attempt to do some one or other of those things he had mentioned, got up to remonstrate with him. And in so doing, she was rudely pushed about by Ted Leonard, who talked of the liberties he ought to be allowed as a lodger. The blank a bit he cared for the whole house put together, he said, and if it was not for the trouble of it, he would make every man and woman in the place fly out of the top of the chimney. And still, he kept calling upon poor Mr. Reed to get up and have his nose put out of joint, and he made such a tremendous hubbub, not only in the house, but in the whole neighborhood, that at last, by common consent, he was sent off to the watch-house. The poor woman was either so unwell or so much agitated, whilst she was telling a story, that the magistrate ordered her a chair, and Mr. Reed himself was a pale as death with fear. But nevertheless, 
they both said they had no wish to proceed in the business all they wanted was to be allowed to sleep more quietly in future as for teddy leonard himself he seemed perfectly at his ease though he was in wretched case for so high-spirited a person his principal garment had doubtless done good service to at least a dozen proprietors in succession his inexpressibles drab slacks were napless grease-spotted and ventilated at the knees and he had only one shoe but then he had plenty of black eyes and his large smallpox indented cheeks were very handsomely overlaid with the fretwork of scratches when mr and mrs reed had said all that they had to say he never attempted to reply but stood lounging against the bar sucking his teeth and twirling his hat until the magistrate called upon him for his defence and thereupon ensued the following colloquy what have you to say to all this mr leonard humph i don't know they've served me pretty tidy going along i think punching me with their shillelaghs as they would at a woolsack perhaps you did not go along quietly no faith i wasn't likely for i was thinking of going to bed at that time and there's no fun in being pulled away to a watch-house when a man's thinking of going to bed what are you what is your trade my trade why i'm a tailor the more's my luck please your worship said one of the watchmen seemingly quite surprised at finding he had had so much trouble with a tailor please your worship as we were taking him to the watch-house he took up his fist and knocked me down like a bullock are you the man that poked your stick in my eye said teddy leonard turning very leisurely to the speaker when a watchman had hold of the two sides of me each of them fast and sure there was he jumping before me and poking his stick at me like a cock-sparrow oh but i wish i'd knowed you when i seed you this morning well you know him now said the magistrate know him replied teddy leonard not i faith for it's a disgrace to be after knowing such a consarn and by the same token your worship he or some of the rest of em pocketed my shoe that night and i haven't got it since but another but how came you to alarm these honest people in the way you have done said the magistrate have you a wife of your own no indeed nor like to have for i am quite alone and comfortable well then said his worship we must endeavour to make you let other folks be as comfortable as yourself by calling upon you to find securities for your keeping the peace in future very good your worship that's all very right and i dare say i'll keep the peace longer nor the peace keeps me replied the comfortable teddy and so saying he followed the jailer to his uncomfortable apartments box lobby loungers among the watch-house rubbish brought before the magistrate one morning were three of that description of bipeds commonly called lobby loungers for box lobby loungers or half and half swells that is to say sharp and half flat half a bottle and half price half bully and half bore in plain terms idle young men with empty heads and full stomachs who in all the magnificence of a full pint of cape 
strut into a theatre at half price and manifest their gentility by swaggering from box to box pinching the strumpets d g the box keepers and annoying the sensible part of the audience as much as they dare our three prisoners strutted into the box apartment at the english opera house on the preceding night at half price and half seas over whether the cape black strap or blue ruin did not appear two of them were particularly half seas over viz mr bob briggs and mr simeon buck the other mr frederick william diggles was but so so they first addressed themselves to the dress circle when mr bob briggs a slight made half-grown flaxen-haired youth instead of waiting for the box-keeper to open the door of the box in which he wished to make his debut set about kicking it with all his might what gentleman of spirit would waste his breath in bawling for a box-keeper when his own foot well applied to the door must inevitably compel the spoonies within to open it and so it turned out some of the quiet ones within hearing such a magnificent thundering did open it and mr bob briggs was just setting himself to make his entry room or no room when one of the box-keepers came in and assured him the box was full at the same time endeavouring to close the door again what do you mean by that you rascal cried mr bob briggs is that the way to treat a gentleman sir said the box-keeper i mean no offence and if you will walk this way i will endeavour to find you a seat upstairs upstairs b d d retorted mr bob briggs i shall go in here come what come may as old what's-his-name says so come along sim buck hiccup they instantly tried to force themselves into the box the box-keeper and the company tried to keep them out the constable was called and with some ado he prevailed upon them to relinquish their attempt upon that particular box but mr constable had scarcely let them go when the hubbub was renewed and turning back he found they had got the box-keeper up in a corner and were trying as he said to squeeze their money out of him for they had made up their minds to stick to the dress circle and since there was no room for them in the dress circle they insisted upon having their half-crowns back again so fork out the blunt you little rascal there was a great row the entrance to the lobby was blocked up the constable again interfered mr simeon buck collared the constable the constable collared mr simeon buck mr frederick w diggles caught hold of mr simeon buck's coat-tail and tried to pull him away from the constable the constable only held him the faster determined to send him to the watch-house and there was poor mr simeon buck seesawing backwards and forwards with the constable pulling away at his neck and mr frederick w diggles at his tail for nearly ten minutes whilst mr bobby popped about the lobby like a pea upon a tobacco-pipe squeaking for help and wishing all contumacious constables and blackguard box-keepers at the very diable at length the constable prevailed and mr simeon buck half strangled and sadly damaged in his cravatory was led away to the watch-house followed by mr bob briggs 
and Mr. Frederick W. Diggles, and there all three were safely stowed away for the night. When brought before the magistrate, they defended themselves vigorously, alleging that there was plenty of room in the box they sought to enter, and that they had done nothing worthy of the misery that had been inflicted on them. The magistrate told them he could see plainly how their case stood. They were young men of great respectability, he had no doubt, but on the night in question they had taken a little too much wine, and the wine had made them a little too presuming, and the presumption had excited them to disorderly conduct. A riot had ensued, assaults had been committed, and by a very natural consequence they passed the remainder of the night in the watch-house. Messrs. Simeon Buck and Bob Briggs were then ordered to find bail for the general riot and Mr. Frederick W. Diggles for assaulting the constable in the execution of his duty. Irish Gallantry Mrs. O'Reilly, wife of Lawrence O'Reilly, cold and potatey merchant, handy by clear market, charged Mr. Ralph Hogan, a comely young man of five-and-twenty, with attempting to make her a false woman to her own lawful married husband. "'And please, your magistrate,' said Mrs. O'Reilly, "'Mr. Hogan is a lodger of ours, and a civilish sort of a gentleman in general, and turncock to the new rival company.' "'Faith that I am, Mistress O'Reilly,' responded Mr. Hogan, "'any time these three years come a fortnight after last St. Patrick's Day.' very good mr hogan and you see i wouldn't be tellin a lie for the matter why should i rejoined mrs o'reilly very complacently and then turning to the magistrate she proceeded and place your magistrate mr hogan is a nice civilish sort of a young gentleman as a body would wish to be speaking to only that time he couldn't a withstand temptation and that was last saturday after tay when my husband wasn't in the place, and the children were abed, and I was ironing their best bits of frocks for the Sunday, plays your magistrate, and Mr. Hogan sat down by the fire, mighty quiet, and what do I owe you, Mistress O'Reilly, says he, for the rent, says he, just one week of it, Mr. Hogan, say I, for you're a nice man, and always true for the rent, and I likes to have you for a lodger over much. Oh, bad luck to me for saying that for mr hogan couldn't a stand the kind word at all but must be flinging out his courtships at me against both the law and the gospel saving your magistrate's presence and what would you be after mr hogan says i don't you know i'm the mother of my husband's childer any time these thirteen long years and himself coming in every minute may be mr hogan says i Gad's blood, Mistress O'Reilly, says he, to the devil I will pitch him, for myself can't do without ye any longer at all. And down on his knees he went to me at that time. Mighty queer, and up he gathers himself again, and combed at me, and I tried to smooth him down with the hot iron. But he wouldn't be quiet by no manes for me, and a noise come to the door, and I squalled, and the neighbors combed, trembling into the place and there was an end of it. Please, your magistrate. Whilst Mrs. O'Reilly was telling her story, Mr. Hogan stood carefully wiping his hat, and when she had done, 
the magistrate asked him what he had to say for himself at the same time telling him he thought he had behaved very grossly devil burn me your worship replied mr hogan but i'm just fit to split for spaking oh woman woman what is there half but my honour's concerned your worship and i won't i won't say nothing come what will the gallant turncock persisted in the generous forbearance and he was held to bail to answer for the loving assault at the ensuing sessions the end end of section twenty one end of mornings at bow street by john white